Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversation with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Um, this is part three, and if you haven't heard part one and part two, shame on you. Uh, Justin Fuente, I thought, really open with us. What happened at Virginia Tech is part of part three. Now, how do you, was Frank Beamer secretly working behind the scenes? What was Bud Foster like to work with? And what are the coaching lessons, like if you're a ball coach, basketball coach, what are the coaching lessons we can take? And what's he doing now? What's he going to do in the future? That's all part of part three. Let's take a listen. Here's part three of uh, my talk with Justin Puente. I think that it's fascinating how you have to put everything together. Again, a lot of this is informing people of things they have no concept of. So you decide to take the Memphis job. And you, you told me before your wife said she was all for it. So, okay, so what happens? You take the Memphis job. How do you decide who you bring with you? Yeah, so, I mean, it's something I had already put thought into. But, you know, the, the question of who can you hire or who, who do you want to hire essentially revolves around how much do I get to pay, right? Like what, like what are the parameters with which, you know, what's my budget? So, you know, that's always kind of like a, an interview question, but it's, a, it's usually – answered with another question like well i don't know like you know what's what's my budget and um i and this kind of speaks to the bigger picture at memphis they had not been very good okay like tommy west had won there and you know it was it was give or take about the round of the time cal was there and basketball was blowing up and, and you know they didn't fund football very well and you know tommy you know had health issues and was you know, basically pounding his head into the wall, trying to get money for football. Then they brought in Coach Porter for two years. And, you know, it just hadn't been very good and hadn't been very well funded. And in my mind, like, <clears throat> sometimes you got to hit rock bottom before you make a commitment to getting better. And that's kind of how I viewed the people involved in the program in terms of their commitment to trying to, to get this thing up and running. It was like, we need to either go get this thing going or quit trying, basically. It was like, let, let's go. Like, we've hit rock bottom. Like, coach, we want to give you resources. Tell us what to do. You know, like, this has been so bad for so long. Do they do, they do that? Because, because, like, again, the way you – the way you – I talked about taking the job. I mean, here's what's always interesting, right? You want the job. And really how much you made, you personally made, 
wasn't all that important, right? You knew it's about, you know, it's about a million dollars, right? Give or take. But like during this process of wanting to take the job, were you able to say, hey, what's the salary pool for the assistance? Or had you already taken it and then afterwards asked? No, so the greatest thing ever was, yes, in the interview process, I asked about the salary pool. And I was given a number, and I can't remember what it was, but I was given a number. And it was a good number, right? At the time, you had nine assistant coaches. Now you're up to 10. But it was a good it was a good number. Like, I was like, okay, that's that's I, we can work with that. And and then I, I remember the very first day I was on the job. Um, I, I mean, we had, like, from 6 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. It was all meet and greet. Like, I had a list of all these things I needed to get done, and – like I never got, I couldn't get to any of them. It's the same old thing. Like it's just my own ignorance of, of what it was going to look like. Kind of like when I asked them. But I, I, I honestly, coach, I honestly think in most people's ignorance. Yeah. I, I mean, I, obviously in the profession, but like we think, I think people think you get the job, you go to school and some of these schools are like it. You do the press conference, then you just go recruit players. Yeah. Everybody's like, it's like a symphony. Everybody's working for you. You're not doing shit. You're just shaking hands, kissing babies, and like, there's a lot of stuff. No, and your phone is ringing nonstop. So, like, every moment that you're not addressing whatever the issues are, you know, then those issues are piling up. Like, you can feel it in your pocket. <laughs> like, you can you can feel your phone buzz, and that's one more issue. That's one more phone call. That's one more thing that you've got to you've got to get done. So. Where I was going with this, at the end of the night, I was talking to Dr. Rains, Dr. Shirley Rains, who was a president uh, at Memphis at the time. And it was a weird situation because um, R.C. Johnson was the AD, but he was leaving. It had already been announced that he was retiring. So he was the AD, but he was, you know, for lack of a better term, the lame duck AD. He was not involved in the hiring process. But Dr. Raines was. And so I asked Dr. Raines about the salary for the assistant coaches. And I and and she I asked her, you know, like, does that count the off the field spots? You know, like, do, do, does that does that is that divided by nine people or is that divided by 15 people? And she looked at me and said, how about this? And she gave me another number that was higher than what they had told me in in the interview and i was like you bet like let's go and so right then i had even more ammunition than when i took the job of of going out and trying to hire hire people and the first thing i needed was a defensive coordinator you know like um it was a little fortuitous because old miss had gotten fired at the same time and there was two guys on that staff at old miss one um that I had played with at Murray State and Chris Vaughn, and the other I knew was James Shebest. And they both they got letting go and both needed jobs. And um, it worked out that we were paying enough that we could keep them away from some other jobs and 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 hire those two really, really good guys. And then I needed to work on on finding the two things I knew I needed were I really obviously needed somebody to run the defense, and I needed I really wanted a former head coach on the staff. I really wanted somebody that had been there and done that. And I went about trying to put it all together. 
who's uh, who's advising you? Who's who's the person that you called on to? Hey, what do you think here? Nobody. Like at this point, like I I'm I'm just going. Like I've, I at this point, I'm still in the realm of what I've prepared for. Does that make sense? Like I'm still in this yeah, yeah. in the in the in the box of okay, like, like I know what I need to do starting out. Now it didn't take very long for me to get out of mm-hmm. that box. You know, it's like when I became the head coach, I'm like, I I I felt to myself, again, ignorance, like I couldn't ne- I will never be more prepared for this job than I am right now. Right. Like I know exactly how I want to practice. I know exactly how I want to study all. <laughs> I know exactly who I want to hire. I know exactly what I want this to look like. This look and two days on the job, I'm sitting there going, I know nothing. Like there's been 50 things come up that I never even thought about in the first two days. And um, but slowly went around. I'm a list guy, just started making lists and started, you know, the first thing I needed to do was meet with I, I met with each member of the former staff. And um, we had a team. How'd you handle that? How'd you handle that? Because, because you know, like I know people who you're on a former staff, and sometimes a coach doesn't let you go immediately. Kind of wants to see what you can do, sort of thing. Yeah. But you also you need loyalty and you need people that you know and that you trust. So there is a reality to being one of your guys. Right. How'd you handle the former? Well, staff? there was one guy on the staff that. Um, that I I knew I was going to keep that I had worked with at Illinois State, so I knew I knew he was going to stay. Like I'd known him. Did you tell him or did you? No, leave I told him. I said you're you're staying. We'll figure out the position. I, I think you're going to be the linebacker coach. We'll worry about it, but don't worry about anything. And and then I went about just talking to the other ones. It was a weird balancing act because most of them I knew we were going in a di- different direction, and many of them I could tell that you know. But there was a few that I'm like, I don't like, I'm not sure who I can hire. You know, like I've got three people that I really want to hire in this spot, but I, they may all tell me no. So there was a couple that I told, you know, most likely this is what's going to happen. Most likely we're, I mean, I'm going to go in a different direction with these couple people, but I may not be able to hire them. And if not, then we need to have a conversation. And there was a couple of them that I, that I had to kind of put in that, know category for lack of a better term and they all understood it you know like they get it you know they they totally they totally get it um i made a huge mistake and this was not a bad person at all i kept the um strength coach for one semester and it had nothing to do with him being good or bad at his job but it was a really rookie mistake by myself in the fact that i felt like i could teach him how I wanted it to look and that he could go put it into action. But what I came to, to learn over that first semester was like, yeah, I, I had time to give the big picture, but I couldn't change that thing myself. Like my ego was like, I can get in there and change it. And he was a good coach. Don't get me wrong, but I messed up. Like I, we should have, we should have just switched that whole thing over right from the start. So I was a semester so, behind in changing yeah. the strength, the strength staff. Right, and and I don't, and I think I think people have started to understand strength coaches, but I'm not sure they totally get it. Right, like the strength coach, they're the connective tissue. They see those kids more than anybody more else. Than you. Like they're right. literally around them more than anybody else. 
So you have to have somebody who is uh, echo to your voice uh, that that is aligned with your vision. Right. Um, that's a that's an interesting one. Um, what about the roster? How, how long did it take you to kind of go through the roster? What you had? Oh, it was bad. It was bad. Like so, we had a team meeting, and it was right before break. So, like, I don't remember how it all worked out with the calendar, but basically, I had a really quick team meeting, and and then let those guys go. They they finished finals and went home and then came back. So I didn't have to do much with the current team. There wasn't much to do. That was a positive because um, because I could kind of set – they were at home. Nothing was going on. Like I couldn't see them. We had other stuff we needed to get done. So, you know, it was kind of like one thing kind of off my plate and to, to preparation and just in sole preparation for their return. But our numbers were terrible. Um, for a really affordable school, our walk-on numbers were, were terrible. Um, they had run through a bunch of players in terms of um, just attrition. And, um, you know, I, when they came back, it didn't take me very long to realize that all of the, all of the qualities that you have that you would associate with a team, uh, from caring about each other to accountability to unity to – work ethic. We had none of those. Um, we just, we really didn't. And, and we focused on one thing. So I, I made this list, this terrifying list of all the things we needed to do. And it was just, I mean, I don't know how long it was, but it was long. And, and I said, I cannot walk into this meeting with these kids returning and give them this list. I mean, it's just ridiculous to think that we could accomplish or we could address all of these issues. And so we boiled it down to one thing, and that was individual accountability. Like, and that was the way we started with, with this is going to be the most cut and dry thing you've ever seen. You're either here on time or you're not. Okay, you're either where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it, or you're not. Period. There's no discuss. Like it's, and we tried to just boil it down to that and see how could we build upon being accountable. And that's kind of where we started. That was kind of like day zero. Um, this is one that always interests me. You got to find a place to live. Okay. And now you're a head coach, right? Remember this is a couple years ago. This is probably six years ago, whatever you had found, bought your first house in Fort Worth, $108,000. Now you're head coach. So obviously your wife, it's kind of her thing, but do you, were you, did you go house hunting with her? Did you get specific instructions? Was there a dollar limit? Like, how does that, did, did Memphis people like, this is, this is where you need to live right here. You yeah. know, like, how does it, how does it work? Well, so, um, no, I didn't do hardly any of it. Um, Jen went out and spent one or two days with the realtor and then narrowed it down to three houses, took me to those three houses you know, I signed off on two of the three and she picked the one she wanted. Basically how it went. Um, living in Memphis, you know, basically for us, at least not for everybody was, um, you could, most of our staff lived out, like outside the loop, like east of Memphis. We lived two miles from the campus. And I think that was, uh, you know, we, we sacrificed a little bit of house for that, meaning, you know, we couldn't get as much house for our dollar. 
living in the older, kind of the older, nice part of town uh, as we could have if we'd have lived out. But to be two miles from campus was incredible for my ability to be available at work and our my family, my young family's ability to be available at work. Um, and then in terms of a, it's a new town, you're working so much. You have all of this stuff going on. I, I know that you get asked to meet great stuff, but what is it like to, how long does it take for you to feel like, okay, you know, where you're going, you know, places other than just the, the, the loop you could wear out between your house and the office, your house, and the office, your house and the office. Yeah. It's interesting. You bring that up driving in town because like, I mean, we were there for four years and I would, and my wife would be in the car with me and I'm like, do I take a right here? Like, I, I just <laughs> like, and I'm like, I've got decent navigational sense, but like I just drove to work right. and home, you know, it was dark both ways. And yeah, you're like, I, you know, I just, I just, I don't, I honestly, I, I truthfully believe this. And I'm not, this is not me kissing up. Like I understand people who work, they work. I don't think, I just don't think people have a healthy understanding of a head football coach is in charge of 85 scholarship players, everybody in your staff, all the ancillary staff, right. And you're, you're trying to, it's your first job. So you're probably micromanaging a little bit more than you you want to because you you got to get it right right because right? if you have two really bad years like that's it it's over they don't call you back right. right so it's a it's an all encompassing thing what about your relationship with your kids with your wife how was that in the early it was time? good my wife was incredible or is still incredible when it comes to to all of that like never once we've been married since two thousand five. And never once have I gone to work and she said, you know, when are you going to be home? You know, like never once has she put that little bit of pressure, just that little bit of pressure of, you know, get get back home. Now, she also knows that I'm coming home as soon as I possibly can. You know, like she also knows, I think, in her heart that I'm not stopping anywhere. I'm not detouring anywhere. Like I'm going to work and I'm and I'm coming home and I want to be here. You know, and I, I think that helps alleviate a little bit of that pressure when she knows, I think, in her heart that there's only one other place that I want to be. Now, also, I love work because I, I mean, it's, there's a lot of people that wake up this morning and they have to go swing a sledgehammer, right? Like, I'm not working, okay? Like, this yeah, no, ain't work, right? Like, I'm hanging around with, great athletes and really smart people and young people. And, you know, like you think about going to college and there's all these people that their sole job is to help you be successful, right? Like there's never another time in your entire life when you're surrounded by this many people that their whole mission in life is to help you either be healthy or eat better or be stronger or make better grades or get a better job, whatever it is, that's their whole mission. Yeah. And that's a pretty cool yeah. thing, you know? And yeah. so you know, work is a loose term, you know, like it's a lot of fun and, you know, it's, it takes a lot of hours and there's a lot of sacrifices everybody makes, but I tried to incorporate our families into all of it. I had been places where, you know, that wasn't the case and that was fine. That's a head coach's prerogative. Um, but that was not the way I was going to do it. Like I really believe that if, 
if somebody's child sitting on your lap in the middle of a staff meeting is going to prevent us from doing our job, then we're messed up. So, <laughs> so we got kids running around, you know, like I want them to come to practice. So we tried to incorporate them and we had younger staff. Some of them had younger kids that they knew, like I, I had a meeting with the wives every year where I just said, like, you need to know that you are welcome up here all of the time. Like you need to know that you don't need permission from me to bring your kids up here to come see you know, their dad on a Wednesday night because he's working late. Like, come on. And I think that helped a little bit. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus in President Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Uh, first time you you saw Paxton. <laughs> the first time I 
I saw him was on his recruiting visit, but the first time I saw him throw the ball, he was enrolled at Memphis. I'd never seen him throw a ball. And uh, we're not really supposed to be out there in the summertime. Or, or not, not we're not really. We are not supposed to be out there in the summertime. And I did not go out. So you just happened, you just happened upon I did not go out there, but I did stand in the weight room and watch him uh, throw the ball in his first day out there. And I can tell you this. Okay, so so before we get to that, okay, so before him, some guys have this thing like, I don't like super tall quarterbacks. I don't like super little quarterbacks. I don't like left-handed quarterbacks. Now I got to switch my whole thing up. Before you had him as your quarterback, what was your prototype for your offense? Yeah, so I'm. I mean, first of all, we weren't in a position to be very picky. Uh, no, I, but, I understand. But like, if, understand, given but the like choice, all you had thought. Yeah, uh, given the you choice, you thought you'd kind of plan yeah. for. Yeah, you know. Um, like we recruited Trayvon Boykin at uh, TCU, and he was athletic and smart and could could really whip the ball. You know, Andy was an exception to the rule. He was such a great player, but he was athletic enough and could really throw the ball. So I didn't really care. Like the game has evolved enough that, you know, how tall they are is, is was not a huge – it used to be a big deal, but it didn't bother me. I'm just saying it, it has been – some people it's a I thing. Know. Right? Some like, like how big or short wasn't that big a deal? It's like – there's some element of stuff in there that you can't measure that I don't know how you can figure out. That's why, you know, the NFL wastes millions of dollars on quarterbacks that can't play every single year. If you could figure that out, you'd you'd be in great shape. But, um, you know, I didn't have a, a single thing, but I did believe that if you had a decent athlete, it gave you more room for error, you know. So, okay, so you're, you're in the weight room, and you knew you'd signed him. <laughs> And you watched him throw. What, what do you think? Relief, just relief came over him. I wasn't, I wasn't like super giddy, excited, but I was like worried because I hadn't seen it with my own eyes. Like, is this kid going to pick up the ball and, you know, like throw it into the dirt or like drop the ball all the way down to it? And, like, I've seen it on film, but like I don't know. And he just pulled it back and zipped it. I, I was immediately, I felt relief that. That Got ourselves yes, a that he had some talent. That that we were all right. Um, okay, so you're getting ready for your first day of spring, and this is kind of you prepared your whole life for it. You know how how do you how do you handle spring practice? How how did you in terms of in terms of it looking like you thought it would look? Yeah. So it, I mean, everything that I wanted to do in the off season and leading into football. And the way we practiced was from Gary Patterson at TCU. Every single bit of it. Like almost to T exactly how we were going to practice, exactly how offseason was going to run. So if you go back to the first day of offseason and we have our circuit set up, and I basically tell the coaches, I got this. Okay. You be there to, to, but like they don't know it. I, re I review it and, and, and talk about what we're going to do. But basically, I'm running the whole thing. And the, the kids are in, like, three different groups. Like, one group comes, and then they leave, and then the next group comes. So, I mean, we have in our in our circuit, we have, like, six or seven stations that we have to get – that we have to go through. And it takes 40 minutes. And it's not very fun. But 
it's not the end of the world and it's not it's not a two hour drudge fest. You know, it's we get in there and we go and 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 like I said, there's six or seven stations and we made it through two before we did I mean, it was the worst conditioned group of people I'd ever seen. And the looks on their faces were was were really terrifying in terms of like this is a group of of young people that really does not care about anybody else on the team. Like that was the two things that were so obvious to me. Like they don't care. <laughs> like the looks were so blank, and there was not one sense of communication between any of the kids or anything. And it was terrifying. Like I remember walking into the locker room afterwards and looking at all the assistant coaches and thinking, every one of these assistant coaches is going to call and ask the road job back. You know, like uh, like this is this is even worse than I thought. So we get into spring ball, and we wait. So when you but before we get to that, so when you did meet with your coaches after that, what was their feedback? Oh, they were terrified. <laughs> They're like, I've never seen anything that bad. I'm like. I know, like we made it through two drills. And I said, you know, we got our work cut out for us, guys. Like, first of all, they've never worked and they've never had anybody care about. And I don't mean that bad about anybody that's there, but that was, that was, that was what I saw. You know, that was my evaluation was they don't know how to work. They don't, and they don't care about this program, you know? So, um, you know, we went about trying to build relationships with them. And it was hard because at the time, and they fixed this now, but our offices were on campus and all the practice facility weight room and stuff was at South Campus, which is about a mile from there. So it was hard. to. My big deal was I want to see the kids. It was just hard. Like we had to, because they would, they would go to school over here. Our offices were over here. There's really no reason for them to come to our office because they're not going to the training room. They're not going to the weight room. There's, there was no real reason for them to come by there. When they finished school, they'd go to South Campus. So every day at noon, we'd just go to South Campus and be there to see them, you know. So, um, so then we, we started spring ball, and that's where I made more idiotic decisions. Where I, I, you know, I was going to run the offense. And again, I, I've seen all these plays work at TCU. I know how we did things at TCU. We'll just do them the same here. And we go out there, and, I mean, it's, it's awful. I mean, it's so bad. It's so bad. So bad. Um, so you line up against Duke as your first home game. Go running out there. What do you remember? Well, our first home game was UT Martin. Oh, yeah, my oh, first okay. year. The second year was Duke. Okay. Okay. So, so you got to play UT Martin. Yeah, and we lose, and we lose because they're better than we are. Okay, but wait. So, but but that that feeling. Yeah. You know, you you've done this a long time. Okay, but now it's your team. You go running out there. Yeah. Do you remember like how many people are there? Yeah, like it? eight. So there was about a two-hour yeah. ring delay, and we were up by seven. This is against Martin? Yeah. Or, it's like, I don't know, it's in the third quarter, and there's a two-hour ring delay. And we're up by seven. The officials call us in. And they're basically like, do you guys want to finish this or not? 
And I'm just praying that the head coach at Martin says no. And I don't blame him either. He's like, well, we're down by seven with a quarter and a half to play. Like, we're going to finish this. So we wait for, for two hours, and we come out there. And I, uh, I kid you not, the game is tied. They have the ball. Your first head coaching game of your life. First head coaching game of life. They have the ball. And we stop them. And there's like 30 seconds left, maybe 45 seconds left. We stop them on third down, and I take a timeout. And I'm like, we're going to make them punt the ball. And then, you know, maybe depending on what happens, maybe we'll just play for overtime or maybe we'll try and go score. I don't know. But there wasn't a lot of time left, less than a minute. So we take the timeout. They they trot their punt team out. They punt it to Kiwan Malone, who ended up being a really good player for us. Fumbled. He gets tackled and fumbles. They recover it. They take a knee and then kick a field goal on the like essentially the last play of the game to beat us. So there's your welcome to being a head coach moment. Um but I I I yeah it, and it happens really fast too, right? Yeah, I'm like, like why would I even try that? We're not even good enough to take that time out. And this is what I'm thinking all the way home. I'm like how stupid am I? Like I should have just been happy with overtime and see what happens in overtime. But no, you got to take a timeout. You got to, you know, nice. Well, but you also, you know, like uh, I would say later on, if you didn't take the timeout, people would say you didn't have confidence. Yeah, right. You're playing for overtime, whatever, right. you know, not, you know, not understanding like we can fumble that, <laughs> that, that punt. And he was, you he mentioned being to... a really good player for us and made a whole bunch of plays and our team that, that, that won the conference championship. He was a huge player. But let's just say there's not a lot of people, there are not a lot of witnesses to that game because not a lot of people stuck it out through the two hour rain delay to watch. Oh, I can't, I can't imagine come back out of the rain <laughs> delay. Oh, man. <laughs> Your poor wife. Oh, oh it was awful. so bad. There's no covering in that stadium, too, if I were no. to be right. There's, it's not like, now you sit there and be like, I'm good. No. It's okay. No. Yeah. Um, you mentioned how you're trying to run the offense like TCU. So as it evolved, were you still were you calling the plays? I was and run the so offense. My plan was, my plan was to, um, to I knew we were going to be bad. So my thought was like, listen, I'm going to call it. And I'm going to run it all and get it how I want it. And as we get better, then I'll be able to step farther and farther back. First of all, I can shelter the offensive coordinator because I can just take the brunt of us not being very good. And so I called it for three years. And then my last year, I turned it over to our offensive coordinator. Um, I had a really good setup because Daryl Dickey, who had been the head coach at North Texas for a long time, he's at Texas A&M now, was huge for our program, both in the city of Memphis and for me as the former head coach. And he was the running back coach. And he had title at one point he was the offensive coordinator and then, but basically he was the assistant head coach and he was, that wasn't, that wasn't a ceremonial the title. Yeah. That was, he yeah. really was like the person that I leaned on a lot when it came to trying to make decisions and try to handle situations. Um, what was the game that turned it? Was it Cincinnati? 
year two, I think. I mean, I know you beat South Florida. I think year one was your one yeah. conference win. So what was the – some that you, they need something. Yeah. To, to, so it was kind of interesting because um, part of the reason I took the job was it was a conference USA school. And I felt like I, I could see – I'd seen Conference USA with SMU when I was at TCU, and I felt like, you know – we can we can build a team that wins six games in Conference USA. You know what I mean? Like that was kind of like what I was thinking. Well, after a year, we moved to the to the Big East, which eventually became the American Conference. So we trade like Southern Miss for Louisville. We trade uh, like Tulane for like UConn, which at the time was much better. Was good. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, my first year, we we win our last three games. We beat UAB, which is about to drop the program. We beat Southern Miss, and I I think we beat Tulane. I don't remember, but we beat the one last three games to win four games. And I got a contract extension after winning four games. If that tells you where we were at, so we won four games, but we win our last three, and we have a quarterback named um, Jacob Karam, great human being, that was a transfer from Houston. Well, Paxton is redshirting. Well, the next year, we take a step up and have to go play Louisville and all these people, and we're pretty good on defense. And we're not very good on offense because all of our guys are young guys, and I benched Jacob Karam and played Paxton. And we only win three games. So I go from contract extension in four games to idiot yeah. in three games, playing the wrong quarterback because Jacob Karam was back. He was going to be a senior and playing this freshman, tall, skinny freshman. And we weren't very – and, like, all of our skill players were freshmen too, so we, we weren't very good on offense. But, yeah. like, our defense took a big step up. Like, we were pretty talented. We were way ahead defensively than we were offensively. So there's kind of – those are the first two years. Well, the third year – like we have to play um UCLA and Ole Miss. Yes. And I'm like, this is not a good schedule for a team that's trying to make it smart. Now, was that schedule preset or did you Yeah, that was uh our A D was from was a California guy and he wanted to play UCLA for some reason. So whatever. So <clears throat> that the first play of the UCLA game was when I was like Okay, we got a shot. Like, what was the play? It was like an RPO with a slant flat, and it was like inside zone. And like, I'm standing on the sidelines, and it's the first time I thought we had a real football team. Like, the way it looked, and Paxton pulls it and hits the receiver like right in the chest. And like, it happened fast. The way I talked a little bit about how like sometimes Andy would, would, would like ride and throw the ball and I'd be in the box and the ball would already be gone by the time I, you know what I mean? It was like, and that was the first play. I was like, Oh, like I hadn't seen it. I hadn't like, I'd just been lost in it. And, and it was like, okay, get your next call ready, Justin. But by the way, like we got something here. You mentioned getting your next call ready. Um, how your, your place, your call sheet. Huh? Um, do you do do you 
do you script them out? Is it, are you, are you calling them as you go? Like, how do you, how do you, when, as a play caller, right. how do you operate? Right. And I think it's important that all, all young play callers understand that it's up to you, right? It's how you work. Like, like Gary Patterson calls the defense and he's like furious when he's calling it. That's how his mind works. Like he likes me when I'm calling it. I feel like I'm, I'm like taking the ACT, right? Like I want it to be this, as quiet and as focused and, and paying attention to what's going on. So I changed when I was at Memphis and it was, it was a really good change for me was <clears throat> at TCU. We carried way too many plays, way too big a call sheet, way too many reps. Like it was just really huge. And that's what I tried to do at Memphis. And it was awful partially because we weren't very good, but partially because it was just too much. The best thing we did is we put a cap on the number of plays that we could use. We grouped them by category, meaning we're going to go into this game with three ways to run the outside zone, and that's it. Two ways to get the ball into the perimeter, and that's it. Four ways to run the ball inside, so on and so forth. Like three drop-back passes, four quick game, whatever it is. Then you get the RPO game in it. But anyway, it can only total whatever that number is. 67 or 71 or whatever, whatever, whatever your number is. And my third year, we did that and carried less plays than we'd ever carried. And as the year went along, became more successful, very successful, led the league in rushing. So how's it organized? Yes, I have starters. I had, when I called it, starters. 10 plays, normal down and distance. These are the formations I want to see. This is the plays I want to run. These are the tempos I want to get to really, really quickly. And then the rest of it, I have it divided by situational football. Like, you know, I have eight calls for second and long. I have uh, six calls for second and short. Two of them or three of them are shots and three of them are just get the first down, you know, so on and so forth. So that it's um, there's both. Um, Positions on the field. Like, I think that everybody should, if you get the ball in the minus one yard line, your whole football team should know what the play is going to be. Like, without you even calling it. Because you should have ingrained in them what your philosophy is and what it's going to look like right there. You know, just like the first play on the goal line, the ball's on the plus two yard line. They should all know. Like, you should have covered it. It should be, it should be not easy, but it should be reactionary. Almost pro, almost pro. Yes, correct. Um, so anyway, then there's situational and then and then basically areas of field. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER L-A-S-I-K-LASIK.com Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K-LASIK.com Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like (sighs) being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant... Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Um, What's that feeling like of seeing something on tape, putting it in to dial up a shot, and then it plays out. I, I can only relate in that in basketball. Um, I, I go sometimes when I speak to coaches or speak to a room full of people, you say, you know, like, what's the best part of coaching? Yes, a bunch of coaches, what's the best part of coaching? And everybody, and I, I truly believe that the relationships are incredible, right? That you, especially in college where a kid comes in, the first time you meet him, he's like 16, 17. The last time you see him, he's like 23, 24. He's a grown man. He's got maybe a wife maybe a kid, whatever, a degree, like completely different. Like that is great. But the actual coaching part, let's be honest, the best part is when you tell them what to do, when to do it, how to do it, then they do it and they score a touchdown. They hit a, hit a bucket, right? Like I, there's a, um, there's a style of play. It's called hammer in basketball. Okay? It's really European, but the, the Spurs brought it over. And the idea that the hammer screen is, because defenses are all taught, especially college defense now, to be in the lane when the ball's on one side, it actually back screens those guys, flare screen or whatever, but to the weak side corner. And so you'll watch in basketball, guys drive the baseline and they throw the weak side corner. And how the hell is that guy wide open? Well, there's a hammer screen that takes place because the natural defense positioning, like we taught when we were kids, right? Ball, you man, you, you make the guys pay for what they're up to talk. So I had a, I have a play. It's, weave hammer and i remember we're in israel and 
the, it was an exhibition game where it wasn't going so good. And we, I changed some things, start going. And then we call the weave hammer, but we had run it end of quarter. Hey, we're going to run it with seven seconds. Okay. Hold the ball. When I get to seven, I give you the signal. We go and we'll hit the shot at one. Right. And so you, you dial it all up. They do it. They hit the shot. And everybody looks at you like you're the world's smartest man. <laughs> it may only last for about 15 seconds. But to me, that's the coolest part is like now they think you're God. Yeah. You're like, holy shit, do that again, coach. Um, do you have a favorite Memphis, especially year three memory of dialing one up when you're like, oh, I got this one. Then it works. And then everybody is all in on whatever coach calls. Yeah, no, you're right. Like um, there's something inherently personal that makes it different when you call it as opposed to somebody else. Like I've seen yeah. guys over the years that are very mild mannered. Um, and then like you let them call a plays in the scrimmage. Okay. Yeah. And they call the first play and it gets stuffed because the right tackle goes the wrong way. And they are livid at the right tackle now. Like they haven't said a word to the right tackle in the three years they've coached there. But like there's some, it's like you put a little piece of yourself out there, right? It's yeah. just a little, so it's a little more personal. And then when it hits, you know, it's even, it's even more, more personal. You know, like um, I don't know, I can't remember one play for me personally. Um, you know that that I I felt like that. I do remember in a walkthrough taking the guys over there. And again, you got to remember, like, these guys have bought in. We, what we did have was an awesome core group of kids that we inherited. And it wasn't very many of them. There were only about 10. How, how, but how, how did you flip them from, from, hey, couldn't get through two drills? Yeah, no, to, they were. You know, they wanted to be, like, they. if it had been nowadays, they would have transferred in a heartbeat. Not, some of them were. Okay, but, right. but, like, there was, like, eight Okay, I'm talking about the younger guys. There was a couple older guys on the team that were awesome, but there was a couple, a handful of younger guys that that were come that we had totally inherited, that were just awesome human beings and pretty good football players, and they were the core. And all we did was cut out all the crap around it and add to that core. That's that's what we did. And I remember there was a time in the walkthrough where I'm like, Sam Kraft. So Sam Kraft is from Memphis. He's the first player we signed that could have actually gone to another school, basically. Like a, a prep school legend in Memphis, played basketball also uh, for Memphis a little bit and played football. Great mom, dad, incredible family, but Sam stayed home to go to Memphis. And we're in a walkthrough, and I'm like, listen, like the first time I'd really talked to them, about bigger bigger picture. I'm like, we're going to scrimmage, guys, and we're in this condensed formation. Sam Kraft, you play tailback. What are the three plays we're going to run here? And he has no idea. Like, he doesn't know. I'm like, we're going to run this, this, and this. Those are the only three plays I'm calling today in this formation. That's it. There's no reason for anybody to make a single mistake. If we're in this formation, you know, it's one of those three plays. And they're like, really? I'm like, I promise. We're going to run 100 plays today, okay? And we're in this. Now, wait, let's go to this formation. Now, the quarterbacks know all this stuff. They're looking at me like, coach, what are you talking about? But everybody else, it was like all of a yeah. sudden there was this 
this bigger picture revelation of what was uh-huh. what was going on. And like it was yeah. like they've been included in it for the first time. You know, it was like, dang, dang, coach, that's that's pretty cool. I'm like, yeah. So we're in this formation, this this spread set, you know, we got four plays, that's it. So if you don't get the signal, you know it's one of four, right? That's it. Like and anyway, they had a good scrimmage and it was kind of like, man, this, you know, we might have a chance. You know? Um, you did lose to Memphis. How do you, at that level, how do you, like, you saw the UCLA game was a close game you lost. Memphis game wasn't as close. You struggled offensively, right? Ole but, Miss game, the, is that what you're saying? Ole Miss? Oh, I mean, I mean Ole Miss. Oh, uh, Ole Miss. So, yeah, we but, so how do you, but how do you, what, what's the secret to keeping that level of team confident? Yeah. Well, I, when, I don't think they were. Um, no, we lost to Ole Miss, and I'm telling you, like, it was dangerous to be on the field versus that defense. Like that's how good they were. Like watching the film, I'm like, I mean, they are they are just, I mean, their secondary is good, their D line is good, and I mean, and our defense played their butt off. We played them down there, and but I mean, it was it was rough. It was dangerous. Like they were that good. And um, if I'm not mistaken, which uh, the, I wish I had the schedule in front of me, but we're basically three and three, maybe at, at the bye week or something like that. We we lose, we've lost to yes, we lost, we lost to Houston, Houston, but we've beat UT Martin. I mean, excuse me, we beat a one double A. We beat uh, Austin P. Yeah, we beat Austin P. We beat Middle Tennessee. Yep, and we beat somebody else. I can't remember Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati. So Cincinnati. So. Yeah, we played Cincinnati, then then Houston, then bye week, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah. But so we my whole deal, like off the record, like not from not in front of the kids, but guys, like, like we have to beat Middle Tennessee State. Like we're gonna beat Yeah, because you'd lost to them previously. Yes, we're gonna beat Austin P. And you know, we'll take our shots at the big boys with UCLA. And Ole Miss, but we have to beat Middle Tennessee State. That is the game. This is with the staff. Okay. And when we did that, that was that was a check in the in the right column. And I remember saying to uh we're getting ready to go play Cincinnati at Cincinnati. And I made a big deal about this game with the team. Like it was our plant the flag game. Like in 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 like very clear somewhat vulgar vulgar terms i made clear to our team that we are going to go put the american conference on notice with this game like we are going to go into their house which we're actually playing where the Bengals are playing but we're going to go beat them and we're going to take the memphis like literally the memphis flag and slam it in the in the 50 yard line now i wasn't worried this yeah. was before Baker Mayfield and stuff, so I wasn't Baker really did. worried about them actually doing it. But that was the metaphor. I mean, I had videos of uh, all the old Mel, the Patriot, you know, Mel Gibson movie where they're they're rushing the hill with the American flag. Like that was the whole deal, and it was like this is exactly what we're going to do. And on the first play of the game, um, Cincinnati throws an eighty-yard touchdown pass. And I'm like, that's our point the flag moment. We roll up, we roll all the way out here. And our guys on offense responded, went down there, and we got after them and beat them. And it was like, our guys believed we were pretty good. You know, like they believed we had a chance to be good. And then we lost to Houston. 
And it was a crushing loss because we didn't really like Houston. Houston didn't really like it. Most of our coaches kind of had a little bit of a Texas flavor to them. We were trying yeah. to create a – we're trying to give our guys some rivalry, right? Like, I think that's a pretty good rivalry now. And we didn't beat Houston when I was there. But, you know, it, it was the, the the beginning of it being, being pretty close. And uh, we went to the bye week. And seriously, I, I looked at our schedule – and I was like, let's get the six wins. You know, I thought about when the kids came back from the bye week, just being about getting bowl eligible. But then I thought, you know, that's maybe selling them a little short. And I also thought, you know, um, if we do get to six wins, I don't want them to stop, you know, like I don't want them to relax. So that's when we just started with one and oh. And that was that was the whole thing when the kids came back from break. It was we're just gonna we're trying to win one game. And it's everybody talks about it now, and I certainly didn't invent it, but I mean that was literally our deal. And literally we played um we played uh Yukon to kind of clinch the championship and like that week, I finally told the guys, if you win this, you get a trophy. Like, we hadn't talked about it one time. But I'm like, you go want to know this week, you get a trophy at the end of the game. And you'll win the conference championship. Like, the very first time it was ever mentioned. And I said, and I don't want to hear another word about it, you know, from here on out. But you need to know that, you know, we get, we're going to do something that nobody's ever done here if we go want to know. And that was all we worried about was one foot in front of the other. Um. At this, so Paxton, what was your honest eval of him at the time? He was going to be really, he was becoming really, really good. Like it was obvious he was getting better. He wasn't making repeated mistakes. We were more importantly, we were getting better around it. You know, like his redshirt freshman year, and he could have played better, but we didn't have people around him to help to help him. Like we weren't. We weren't mature enough and we weren't developed enough from a skill position wise. We were basically the same on the offensive line all our years there, you know, decent, you know, but where we made huge improvements were in the skill positions and we gotten better around him and he continued to improve, you know, like he was just continuing to steadily get better and better and better. <clears throat> What what was it about him that you, you know, just arm crazy arm talent? Yeah, and like he's physically talented. Like he's as good an athlete, especially for a guy that long, as I've seen. You know, I mean, he's just. I mean, his hands are this big, and he could he could run and jump and and he's big. I mean, he looks like a basketball player. Is what he looked. He looked like. He could go hang out with the Memphis basketball team and he didn't look like a football player in there. You know, he's just so long and athletic and um, just continued to get better and like had a desire to improve. And Cornell, Brad Cornelson did a great job with him, like keeping it like I tend to get to, you know, to making it more complicated than it is. And Brad does a great job trimming all that out so that it's digestible and he just, I mean, certainly he could throw the ball. 
I mean, he threw a ball his last year at Memphis that I'll never forget off like a trick play against Bowling Green. It's like a double reverse pass. And I don't know how far he threw it, but I mean, our guy catches it in the back of the end zone with one foot in and it like, I mean, I can close my eyes at night and see that ball traveling through the air. It's like something out of the movies. You know, it was incredible. God, God given, right? Yeah, like, like it. You taught him that. No, no I didn't really didn't teach him any of that. No. Like, the first no. day, you know, even when he's a freshman and, you know, we're out there and he's throwing the ball across the field, it's like, you know, like it, it, starting out, he may run naked and throw the ball four yards and throw it in the ground. But on the next play, you know, he's throwing the comeback across the field and it's like nobody else can do that. Um, okay, so you win the league and without any question, people are calling about you leaving. So, you know, all you want to be was a head coach. Now you got to figure out what job do I take another job? What This is the, the conference championship year. What was it like to decide to stay at Memphis? Yeah, it wasn't that big a deal. Like there really wasn't that much going on that people were interested in me on, you know. Like Kansas had an opening and I knew the AD there really well, but it wasn't it wasn't something that we were going to go down the road on. And that, like that first year, they just – it really wasn't. And I, I'll tell you, honestly, like I didn't talk to hardly anybody about any jobs. I've never been that person. You know, I've never been that guy that that wanted to move or that was always looking for the for the other thing. I just I never. Um, I, I, that's that year. Certainly there wasn't much. And in my entire time there, I only talked to one school and that was Virginia Tech. Like I never had a how that happen. I never had a conversation with a with another school. You know, you know, I'll go to your agent, agent and they, you know, there's people that have interests right. or whatever, and then your agent calls you says, "Do you have any interests?" And you say, "Maybe or no or whatever." You know how all that goes, and then and then you you know to you know if there is a conversation to be had, you you know you let your bosses know, and you know you have a little conversation. So, so t- take me through how Virginia Tech happened. Um, so it was kind of crazy. So the next year, um, between the between our third year and our fourth year at Memphis, we won 15 straight games. And our last year there, we beat Ole Miss in the Liberty Bowl. And that was an awesome day. And how many people were there for that? All of them. <laughs> I mean, it was a, a little, lot different. A little different than the friends and family, yeah. friends and family yeah. from the from the first game and the rain delay against Martin, yes. where you wanted that game called. Yeah. Now there's now you, now you have to turn down people who want tickets. Yeah. It was pretty cool yeah. day, you know. Like the day I'll never forget. Um, you know, the thing that that I didn't like about that day was I remember driving home. I mean, people are just going bananas. Right. They're in Tiger Lane. Our players are in Tiger Lane doing who knows what, you know. And I, I really, it was an early game. I really just wanted to go home. I was pretty tired. And, and I, you know, there's part of me that wishes I'd enjoyed it a little bit more, but we had a Friday game the next week at Tulsa, my hometown. And I remember driving home, like almost getting sick to my stomach thinking there's no way I can get these players ready to play on Friday against Tulsa, you know, like, and Tulsa was scoring like 50 points a game. They weren't very good on defense, but um, I just, I don't know. Like, I wish I'd enjoy, I wish I, in retrospect, 
I shouldn't have been worried yeah. about that right then, but I was, you know. Um, but anyway, so we won 15 straight games, and then what? What was it? Well, hold on, but before was was Blankenship still at Tulsa? No, Philip Montgomery was at Tulsa. Blankenship was with us that year. I got okay. to hire Coach what, B what? to come uh, my last year at Memphis. Was there a, was there haggling on salary? Uh, no, he just needed insurance. He's like, yeah, I'm I'm good on the salary. He's like, I just need uh, benefits. I'm like, insurance. well, I'm taking to the AD because I'd love to get you here. And he came, and it was it was really cool to to spend that year with him. That is really cool. What what is it like to coach at Tulsa? Well, it was terrifying. Um, you know what was really crazy was the year before Blankenship was at Tulsa. And we'd be yeah. on. And like now you feel like you've got a hand in, you know, like there's all these mixed emotions about all of it. Yeah, getting a guy fired. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like but anyway, so we go play at Tulsa and, um, you know, we are the toast of the town. Like, I don't know what our record is. We're undefeated and we're ranked. And like I said, we won our last, I think it was our last seven games the year before. And that year we won our first eight. So, like, we're pretty good, and it's pretty cool to be a Memphis Tiger, you know, like, for the for the first time in a long time. So, I mean, we go there, and I'm terrified because they are uh, – Phillip has is, is got the Baylor deal, and they are – Yeah. they're going a million miles an hour, and they won't let up. You know, they're like a, a basketball – you know, shoot, they're like Billy Tubbs' OU teams when I was a kid. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just nonstop. Like, there's the game last – six hours you can't relax and you know trying to get that point across but it was nice my my parents went to the game and, and got to you know go back home and sleep in their own bed which was which kind of cool but um i was happy to get the win because i was i was worried <laughs> big time okay so okay so you you're you're four you beat you beat old miss yeah. you guys were rolling and then and, and then we we played navy at our place and Navy beat us. And we could have played all night. It didn't matter. They were going to kick, they were going to beat us. Like we couldn't stop them. And, you know, we. Triple, triple option? Yes. And we, I knew we were in trouble. They turned and ran the pitch. And like the, the wing back for Navy, who's supposed to be slow, you know, like beat all of our guys around the corner, you know, like. They were good that year, really good. And yeah, um, I think we made them punt once or twice, but and we needed to score sixty that game to win the game, and we didn't. You know, I don't remember what the score is. Well, plus you you go you can't have but you won't have the ball. That no much, doubt, right? Yeah, so we lose. So what we have coming down the pipe is the league is really good this year. It's Navy, Houston. This is the year Houston. Um, I think beat Florida State in one of the big bowls. Houston, Temple with Matt Rule, who's real good, and SMU, I think. Well, like we we lose to Navy and we go play Houston again. The rivalry that we've been we've been building, trying to build in our program with Houston, and we are kicking their butt and their quarterback gets hurt and they bring in their backup and we're up. I don't know what the score 28 to seven or something like that. 
And we get into the fourth quarter. We score a touchdown on the first play of the fourth quarter to go up 20 or to go up 19, I guess. And I don't go for two because it's so early in the first, like if it had been a little bit later in the fourth quarter, I definitely would have, but they say in the fourth quarter, you should go for two in this position. And I did it. We kicked extra point to go up 20. And, um, First of all, I thought we would be down there again. Like it was, I don't remember what the score was, but it was fairly high scoring. Well, long story short, we don't make it down there again. And they go on a run. We get the ball. We drive down. We're down by one. And Jake Elliott, who's one of the best kickers I've ever met in my life, he's kicks for the Eagles right now, has got like a 50-yard field goal to win the game, and he misses it. And we lose. And one of the – one of the – one of the, if not the worst locker room I've ever been in. I mean, just, I mean, guys like laying on the ground, sobbing, just brutal. Absolutely a brutal end to the game. And like, I mean, so many things happened in that game. Like Anthony Miller, who's ends up being a second round draft pick wide receiver for us. Um, he goes through warmups and like he's like coming into his own. He went off against Old Miss. He's standing next to me as we run out of the tunnel. Okay, we get the ball to start the deal, and Anthony is not out there. And I'm like, "Where is Anthony? Where's Ant?" And like, get Daryl, get the trainer over here. And Daryl's like, "Coach, he pulled his hamstring." I'm like, "What?" He was standing next to me in the tunnel when we came when we came out. He's like, I know. He was over here stretching and he pulled his hamstring. He's done. I'm like things like that where you're like, how does this happen? Like the guy's fun. So anyway, we lost that game. So now all these things are starting to go on about other jobs. Okay. Like things are, are getting crazy. And I'm worried about our football team because Paxton, our I mean, our guys just got, I mean, they're just smoked after that one. And Paxton can hardly walk all week. And we got to go play Temple with Matt Rule, who's really good. And we got guys that are hurt, and we've lost two in a row. And it's, it's like, rough. I'm like, so then there's other – so our kids are dealing with the fact that they've just had their hearts ripped out and the fact that um, there's all this stuff about us going on, okay? And I haven't – we haven't gone down that road. Like I haven't, but it's like getting to the point where like we need to, we need that. We need to either have a discussion or not. You know what I mean? Like it's getting to that point with other job stuff. So, so basically they asked for permission and I talked to Tom and, and we had a discussion about the job and, um, you know, try to figure out if that's that's what we wanted. I told him I wanted to talk to Bud in order to, you know, like I wanted to talk to Bud. And so they arranged for that. And and then we go to Temple and lose. And now our players are like, what's really going Like they're upset because we've lost three in a row. The three really good teams and our teams beat the crap. And we want, we were, you know, we were ranked like whatever it was, 12th in the country. Now we've, we've gotten our heart 
ripped out and guys are beat up and they're hearing their coaches leaving. And I'm not, and I'm telling our guys, I'm like, guys, like if I had made that decision, like I would tell you, but we haven't made those decisions. Nothing has been decided. We're still, which is the truth, you know, I'm trying to figure all this stuff out just like you guys are, you know? And then, so we got to get ready for SMU and like our guys have hit the wall. Like all week at practice, I'm scared. I'm like, are these guys going to go play or not? Like I'm worried because there's a lot of stuff about the job stuff. There's a lot of, and I, we go through our entire week of practice. And in our pregame meal, we usually have one coach from each side get up and talk. We have tips and it turns into kind of a meeting after we eat. And, um, I got up at the pregame meal. I mean, I'm worried, Doug. Like, I don't know. Like, our guys are are willful, and they're strong, and they're powerful kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm worried. And I stand up and said, guys, we're not going to have guest speakers today. I mean, we're not going to have the assistant coaches talk. Okay? I've talked to our captains. Okay? Uh, and some of our seniors, they want to talk to you guys. And I'll tell you what, we're going to leave. So the coaches are going to get up. We're going to go get on the bus. Okay. And if you want to get on the bus to go kick SMU's ass and get on the bus with us. Okay. Like I just let it, I just let them happen. Yeah. Like you guys, you guys are driving the bus. How do you want to be remembered? And I don't know what happened in the meeting. I have no clue. Uh, I've never asked anybody. I don't know anybody that wasn't a player that was in the meeting. I made everybody get out. And I mean, I'm scared to death. Like, I don't know if they're going to get on the bus. Like, our guys are strong enough to, like, say, you know, yeah, this, like, yeah. now we ain't going. Yeah. yeah. And they get on the bus and we go and they beat the fire at SMU. I don't remember what the final score is, like 69 to nothing or something like that. I mean, 63 to nothing. And, and you know, the next day, you know, I decided to take the Virginia Tech job. Uh, okay, so when you're you're getting ready to replace a legend, it's really hard, right? And what people there's there's so many things, and that's that's why I want to have a start. So many things about that job. It's like the it's like the Memphis job, right? Your first year, you're in a league, you're in CUSA, you know, and you're competing. You're like, oh, we can do this. The next year, you're in the American. Okay, Virginia yeah. Tech was Virginia Tech when they were in the old Big East. They play on Thursday night. Under the lights, Lane Stadium, they had their kind of unique niche. You know, you get there, they're in the, the ACC. But I guarantee you called other people in coaching and said, what do you think? What was the, what did people say when you said, what do you think about Virginia Tech? Um, everybody was positive, you know, like um, they were positive about Coach Beamer. Um the ones that had any idea about the administration, they were all positive. Um, you know, I think there was a pretty good consensus that they were probably behind, or not probably, they were behind from a developmental standpoint in terms of facilities and that sort of stuff. Like they hadn't done as much as other people had and behind from a staffing standpoint. But, you know, it was a place that valued football, um, that's what I liked, you know, like, 
and Memphis valued football too. Don't get me wrong, but like it was a place that um, that that was really really important, and um, I viewed it as a plans to move to a small college town and raise my kids and have a chance to coach big time college football while still living somewhat of a normal life. And that that was really the centerpiece for me. Like, um, I never really had any interest in many of the other places that provided a different type of lifestyle. And that's just me. And um, it's right or wrong or indifferent. It's just how I've always wanted to live live my life. And I've never been the the guy that was out searching for attention or spotlight or, or any of that sort of stuff. So I, I understood that there's responsibilities with, with being the head coach that were, that require you to give up some of your personal life. I understood that, but I mean, I felt like this was an opportunity to me to coach big time college football and still maintain some semblance of normalcy for my children. And that, that got me pretty excited. Um, okay. Now you know what you're doing because you failed and succeeded Memphis. So second time around, hey, you get the job. Every, I'm sure everybody in Memphis thought they were going with you, and not everybody gets. <laughs> did you? Did you? Did you do the saving? Hey, the plane's waiting. You get on it. Like, how did? How'd you handle? First, how'd you handle your current staff in terms of go, going yeah. to Tech? I told the staff that Sunday that that's what I was going to do. I told, and I'm talking about the coaches. Mm-hmm. I told the coaches. I said, I. I will tell you exactly where you stand with another job. Like there will not be any of this. I disappear and you, and won't return your phone calls. Okay. Like I have a decent idea of, of what I want to do. Not everybody's going to get to go, but everybody's going to hear it from me. No, but nobody's going to hear it from somebody else. And then we dismissed the meeting and everybody went to their offices and I just went office to office and told, and told them face to face. Um, there's one guy I didn't get to. He wasn't a coach. He was an administrative guy because he wasn't in his office. He was off doing something else and I didn't have time, but the football coaches, I went office to office and said, oh, I want to bring you. Like, I'm not sure what the salary is, but I want you to know you've got a job and, um, there's also an element of leaving some guys behind um, t- that you're going to bring so that they have a chance to win the bowl game. So there was a little bit of that element too, but I just went person to person and, and told them. Um, and I think best of my recollection, everyone was definitive in terms of yes or no. I don't think there was anybody that was left in the lurch. I don't think. Um but I know I talked to everyone face to face. Now there was one that didn't come. Daryl Dickey didn't come. He stayed. His his daughter was, I think, a, either a junior or senior in high school, and and Mike Norvell hired him on to stay, and which was great for for him. But that's how I handled that. Um, and then players, how'd you handle it? Uh, it was the hardest meeting I've ever been in. Um, I walked into the team meeting. I stood at the front of the door uh, room, and I mean, I couldn't get the words. Do they already know? Is it already out? I um I would imagine they knew. Now I had to go shoot the I had to go shoot the TV show that morning too. So I had to go shoot the TV show, then come into the staff meeting, and then we had a team meeting. 
I don't know if they all knew or not. I can't remember how it all played out. I just remember standing in front of them, not being able to have a hard time talking, you know, and like crying my eyes out. And, um, you know, but I didn't want them to hear it from anybody other than me. And I wanted to, to do it face to face. And I wanted to thank them and um, try my best to convey, you know, some message of, of, of appreciation and love and give them some reasonings and, you know, do the best I could with it. You know, I, I think, again, I don't think real people who listen to this think that, but I think there's a good portion of population that think you guys don't care. Right? You're just going to, yeah, I you only do it. And it's you, a you shame. It's you like that. To. You don't care. You're just going to get a bigger check. Yeah, I know. And that's a shame. And like, like we said before, some of that is coaches have brought that upon themselves, but I would, I would argue against that. Vehemently. I, I thought about, what you, said. Portion I thought about of what you said. So I guess here's my question. How do coaches get their voice back? I don't know. Like, I, I, I mean, there are like, what frustrates me is, is the people that I really respect what they have to say. I may not agree with it all, but like, I, like David Shaw, like, I don't know, but I find him fascinating and highly insightful and really in it for the right reason. Right. And I think, um, I'm not saying people ignore what David Shaw has to say, but I think we should take more, I think we should, I think, I think you should carry more weight. And to be honest with you, you know, Dabo catches hell from everybody. And, um, you know, like, you may not agree with everything he says, but I, I really think it comes from a really good place, personally. Well, that, that's that's the th – I think therein lies the issue, right? Okay, so David Shaw, yeah. right? So here, here's what the here's what the cynic says. Even the sports talk show host says, right? And I agree with you on David Shaw. It's brilliant. Okay, he found a niche, and they won a ton of football games. They're like, well, they're not even winning now. So, you know. Yeah. Okay, do you know how hard it is at Stanford? <laughs> you know? Right. Just just so yeah. Stanford uh, and I did a show yesterday. Stanford went to 10 straight NCAA tournaments under Mike Montgomery. They've gone to one in like 14 years. Okay. Football was rolling. Now it's not. These two things, and you don't have bad coaches. Jared Haas is a very good coach. David Shaw is a very good coach. Maybe the landscape we're in, you know, makes it really, really, really hard. And oh yeah, by the way, everybody else is trying to win. But the cynic says, well, David Shaw's not winning. And then the cynic says with, with Dabo. Well, he's making eight million dollars, you know. Right, right, and and that's crap. I, I, it shouldn't discount what he has to say because the market says we're going to pay coaches way too much money. Like you should cure cancer to make that much money, right? I agree with all of this. Like I don't disagree with any of it. It's absurd. But what do you want the guy to do? You know, and I just. I don't know how they win it back. I don't know. I wish I knew. You know, like I really do wish I wish I know, but it's just because you're so different. As you point out, it doesn't happen today. And this this is not that long ago. We're talking we're talking 10 years ago, max. And it doesn't happen now. If now it happens, you have a completely new team. That entire team leaves. You have a completely new team. Yes. And 
You're not recruiting high school kids. You're going off somebody else's right. roster. The whole thing has changed. And the kids aren't coming necessarily. Some are. They're not coming necessarily because of your school. They come out because your school provides them some NIL check, you know, which. Right. We have, we, we have de-emphasized the long-term game of this whole, the whole long-term gain of this whole thing. And, and, and re-emphasize short-term gain. And I think there's got to be a way to do both. There is. Right? There's got to be a way to get guys to get a little, to get theirs, right? While still moving this thing towards, um, you know, whether you want to call it um, amateurism or whatever, I don't care, but towards an education, right? Like, I don't know, like for me personally, it's, it's, it's family, church, and education. Those three things I think are really important. That's just me. Okay. I think they sh- I wouldn't tell anybody else what they think, you know, that, that they should make it more important in their life. That's something for me to do, but that's what I think we should focus on. And, you know, if you're a public institution, you don't get to focus on church. That's fine. Okay. That's up to you as an individual. I'm going to provide you the ways that you can develop in that way. And that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But these other two, Family and, ch- and school, like they're really important, and I just we're de-emphasizing. Well, it, it's and it. and we're and it's it's interesting because uh, that the whole reason the scholarship was provided was to try and even the playing field, right? So that more people from diverse backgrounds got an opportunity to get a college education, which you know previously only a select few would get, and those opportunities are greater and greater. And yet now you have, you have, you have people, I don't think all people, but you have a lot of people that, like you said, de-emphasize it and they don't realize how it opens doors. Right? They don't realize that there's a direct correlation between your level of education and the, and the amount of money you're going to make the rest of your life. Period. Stop. You know, no doubt. Yeah, like, I mean, the examples are infinite and are there exceptions to the rule always, but I had this woman that worked, in our office at Memphis, every year I went in to get her a raise. Every year, every year they said she doesn't have a degree, can't give her a raise. I'm like, well, that's stupid. She runs the whole. She does an incredible job. You know, she's awesome with everybody. She runs the whole thing. Doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't mean it's fair. It's just the way it is. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't mean that because I have a degree that I'm any smarter than a guy that doesn't. It just means I was willing to do work. Yes. Right? Like, that's what that sheet of paper is. Like, you'll do things you don't want to do. Okay. Well, okay, fine. And it's and, and you know what? That's yeah. a great way of putting it. I think it's the reason that people generally like to hire athletes, you know, is because they know whether they're the smartest or the best, they had to do a little bit something above what somebody else is willing to do. You know? Yeah, that's right. Like, I don't know. It's just... I see this beautiful thing, and I don't. And there's a lot of it I don't understand. I'll, full disclosure: I don't understand how in America you can tell somebody they can't turn professional. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like I don't understand why I can't graduate from high school and decide I want to be a professional football player. I don't. I don't understand that. Now the market may say I'm not good enough to do it, but I don't understand how we can tell them. Like why can't we give kids a choice when they graduate? You can become a professional. Or you can be an amateur, you know, and you can turn professional whenever you want. After your first year, after your second year, whatever you want. But you can you can go be an amateur because the NFL has got it good. Okay, like they don't have to pay for the developmental league. Right. 
like minor league baseball or like basketball is doing, like we're doing it for them. Okay. Well, like if they want to, if they want to take 18 year olds out of high school, let them take them and let them go develop. Okay. But your choices are you can go be a pro or you can be an amateur. And I don't know. I don't I know there's reasons that, that, that won't work, but I don't, I'm not sure I understand. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, the obvious is none of them ready to play. You know, you have correct. Right. And, and yeah. it's too expensive to develop them and it's too hit or miss, you know? Right. Right. And ultimately that's the, the first promise. The reason why nobody else, no other, one of the reasons why no other countries really play football is expensive. I mean, it costs a lot of money to play. That, that's that, there's, there's a, there's a part that, by the way, there's, there's one last part to the, why they aren't allowed. It's because it's collectively bargained because NFL players don't want more young guys. They don't want anybody taking their job. Right. 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 But instead, we've, we're stuck with this deal in the college football is in limbo. Like it's not a professional league and it's not an amateur league. It it has a playoff and it has a bowl system. Like it's totally screwed up because it's right down the middle. Like you you can either be you can either have the bowl system or you can go have a playoff. Having both makes no sense. I want to ask you this because I've never asked anybody on the record, and I haven't preempted. Uh, you know, I haven't told you about this. A um, lot of people hate bowls. Right think bowls are a waste of time players are now opting out of bowls to ready themselves to the nfl you've played in bowl game you've played in bowl games what is their value what what i have my own belief like my belief in value i'll just tell you is look half the teams end up winning their last game it's a big thing plus it's a reward you bring all the boosters down there you raise money as well and i i think it has a value i don't know if it feels as valuable to you having coached in them. Um, do what, what are your feelings on bowls? I love them. I mean, I, I think they're fun. I mean, I don't know. Like they usually have some activity that you'd never get to do in a million years. Right. You take some kid from uh, to the Belk bowl in Charlotte and they put him in a freaking race car and drive him around the track at a hundred and whatever miles. That's kind of cool. It's really cool. Like I think it's really cool. Like, I mean, like there, and, and on down the road, like you have the, you know, obviously you have historical bowls like that, that even just being there means the Rose bowl, just being there. They don't have to drive you around a track, right? Like you don't have to drop you out of an airplane, just going to, it's pretty cool. Okay. And then you have the other ones. That maybe just they don't have that prestige, but you know, have activities or things or you know, a small little reward or vacation. Maybe a kid gets to go somewhere that he's never gone before. I I enjoy them. I've never been to a battle. I've never been to one. It's always better if you win the game, but I've never been to one where I said this place sucks. You know, like that they're I, I think they're good, but I do understand 50 of them is a lot yeah. or whatever the numbers are. Right. And like I understand that. They have to be valued. The playoff inherently devalues the bowl game. Like, there's no getting around that. And we all knew that was going to happen this, the, the day that they wanted a plus one. It was going to devalue the, the bowl games. It's just now that we're stuck in this. I mean, we all know the playoffs going to expand. Why do they even ask our opinion? Like, that's the way the coaches feel. Like, we're in ACC meetings. Like, you guys pretend like you're asking us like you care. Like, we all know. 
that money is going to drive I, I, it. I, and think, it's gonna I think the issue, my issue with the with the expansion of the playoff and with some of these things is we're doing every year we're doing something to take away from uh, uh, traditions. You know, it's like we've Memphis, excuse me, Missouri and Kansas. It's a rivalry that goes back to the civil war, right? Missouri was a border state. Kansas was a free state and under cover of darkness, Missourians, went into Lawrence and burned the town down. Like that's a rivalry. Okay. Like you're talking Kansas, Kansas state, hundred years. Now, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, they played uninterrupted for over a hundred years. And because, and it's a big check. Okay. And there's other issues. Like nobody talks about Oklahoma, a lot of money issues within the university, whatever, whatever. And I, I don't know if I can turn that down, but to just, Hey, be in a meeting one day with the big 12 and then, behind the scenes, hey, we're off to the SEC. And no one says anything. He's like, well, it's a bunch of money. Like, yeah, but they played for a hundred years. They're the same system, you know, with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. They're supposed to be brother and sister schools. Like, this ain't how it works. But we, I mean, even with the, with UCLA and USC leaving the Pac-12, has anybody stopped to go like, I know they're still going to have a game in the Rose Bowl, but the Rose Bowl died that day. Like, the Rose Bowl died. Big 10, Pac-10 die and like no one had a funeral it's crazy and as much as you would say like well you're freaking out because it's your school or whatever like no, no no i told you with missouri and kansas what happened now it's this like can you imagine if michigan and ohio state didn't play like can you imagine or michigan michigan state didn't play like for one second of course you could imagine no chance that that's what's actually happening so part of it is our we just don't give a crap about anything historic and i think and this is again this is me my soapbox is we haven't stopped to ask why people care and watch college football you know we we just we're cha- we have people just chasing the dollar chasing the dollar everything's more expensive we got to make more money chasing the dollar but why do people actually sit down and watch a game why did wh- why do you watch a game why do you why would you go to a game and yeah i get like i talked to the guys in texas i look we got to fill up daryl clay royal stadium is hard with Iowa State. It's not hard with LSU, with Arkansas, with Florida. I get that. Okay. But there's a lot of people that, you know, you've watched these teams play for years. All the kids are from about the same area. You compete against the same guys. And now we're not doing it. Now we're doing your, what, like, I, doing college basketball. I just did a preview show for the Pac 12. You don't even worry about what high school they went to because they went to multiple high schools, they went to prep schools. Then they went to a college. Then they went to another college. Now they land at the college. Like it's crazy that we have no, nothing historically has any sort of effect on people. It's just how can everybody make the most money the quickest possible? That's your answer. I mean, what are we doing? I mean, like you're right. It's like in the, and part of the problem is there's nobody in charge. Yes. There really is nobody in charge. Okay. Like I, I, you know, the commissioner of the NFL, gets paid, Roger Goodell gets paid a lot of yeah. money, right? To basically make unpopular decisions, right? To tell people no. He gets booed every year at the draft, right? They just boo his brains and he just takes it. And because he has to go make the unpopular decisions, he has to go tell people no. He has to go um, suspend people or whatever, you know, all the things that go. But he runs the league and he shoulders that. 
And there's nobody in college athletics or college football, at least, that wears that hat, right? The NCAA is incapable and outdated and hanging on for relevance. And there's nobody that can, you know, they've been the punching bag for years, and I'm in favor of the collegiate model, but they've been the punching bag for years, but there's nobody in charge to, to wrap their arms around the whole thing and say, you know, this is how we're going to do it. And so we just float from money grab to money grab, from idea to idea to let them do this, to let them do that, to let them do that, with no no consequences of like, what is this actually going to look like? And you're right. Nobody has ever stopped to say, why is this even popular in the first place? And then, but then, and then look, and I've been a defender of, of some of the amateurs and model, but then they do stupid shit that we're just like, huh? You know, like what? Well, you, yeah. you can't bring, I mean, you can't bring middle school kids on the campus because they're recruitable student athlete. Like, do you think a kid in eighth grade is going to choose a school because when they're in eighth grade, they got to, throw a football around on a football field. Like, what are we, what are we doing? Who gives a shit? Who cares? All right. So let's get back. You, you're taking Virginia Tech and they told you, you got to keep Bud Foster, right? No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They, you know, they, they, they said so you can make the choice. And I mean, I wanted to keep Bud. Like this wasn't, it wasn't forced on me by any means, but also like, there's a little bit of understanding, like, Okay, I mean, if you want your first act to be to let Bud Foster go, then you can go do that if you'd like, but you better stop people. And I viewed it, I didn't even view it like that. I viewed it as a positive. I viewed it as an opportunity to coach, you know, with Bud. And, and like, it was a benefit. As long as I felt like we could get along, you know, like, that's why I want to talk to him, is I felt like, you know, as long as you know, we didn't have to be exactly on the same page, but this couldn't be an issue, right? This couldn't be a, you know, a divisive issue. As long as I felt like it was going to be a divisive issue, we, I thought it was a bonus. So you get there, you do the press conference. Uh, what what was the place like in comparison to TCU, uh, in comparison to what you thought it would be like? Um. I had a beautiful, beautiful indoor and um, a really nice, beautiful stadium in a beautiful part of the country. I mean, by far, of course, I'm a a flatlander, but by far the most beautiful place I've ever lived. It's it's still water with like hills and trees and because the middle of the I mean, every, the campus is immaculate, right? Yes. And when it it all looks the same and when it snows, it's a blast, you know, it snows twice a year and there's hills everywhere. People are sledding all over the place. I mean, it's really, it doesn't get hot. Like the climate is incredible. Like it, it it's just really it's a really neat place. Um, but we were we were behind facilities wise, and we were behind staffing. Um, pretty dramatic. Why? Like I, uh, Saban has this incredible staff, right? And so, and that's like the model for everybody. Uh, again, outsider looking at why do you need the numbers, the volume of staffers? What is that? How does that benefit it? Yeah, well, I mean, I've never been one that's wanted quite 
what they've got. <laughs> I don't know how you keep track of it all, but um, you know, there's an element to basically people that can handle recruiting. That's both handling uh, prospects on campus. You think about a big game, you got 150 kids on campus with their families. I mean, it takes a big staff to handle that sort of stuff. The other part of it is disseminating information. You have the transfer, you basically have free agency and high school um, evaluation. So you have two arms. It's like the NFL. You have two arms of the scouting department now that you need to evaluate, you know, not exactly twice as many kids, but at least a lot more with the portal and the high school deal. And the other part of the high school evaluation is it, you know, before the internet, it was basically regional, but now you can, you recruit a kid from anywhere. You know, you can access his film. You can talk to him. Like, I'm not saying you should recruit kids all over the country, but you can certainly evaluate and see kids from, from all over. So it takes a lot of people to disseminate that information. And then, you know, with what Nick's got or coach Saban's got on the coaching side of off the field, I mean, he's basically got a whole nother department there that scouts ahead of time that, that works on the, the future opponents that, you know, does a tremendous amount of work. So what did you have to for add? For the coaches ahead of time. What did you have to add that you didn't have when you got Well, we had two recruiting people. And then, like, my whole deal was let's slowly add these, add these pieces, you know. But it became pretty apparent after I was there for the first couple of years that we needed to fight. We had to fight the front on two two on two fronts. We had to fight the facilities front and the staffing front. It wasn't like we just had to do one or the other. Well, we started off with the facility piece and tried to slowly add the staffing piece. And then my last couple of years there, we were really trying to rapidly grow, grow the staffing. Piece. What was wrong with facilities? Well, they're just outdated. They were redoing the lobby. Um, but in our time there, we redid the team room. We redid the position meeting rooms. We did redid the weight room. Um, you know, next they'll do the locker room. We redid the players' lounge. I mean, all of those things needed to be done. You know, as soon as we got there, we got a brand new dorm um, that we needed that you know was severely outdated. So you get there. What's the team like? Team was awesome. I tell you what it was in a nutshell. We had a lot of really good older players. The younger the younger players on our team were not were not very talented and mostly of low character. But the older players were studs. I mean, talented, um, hardworking, high character. I mean, they were they were really awesome. But the last couple classes were not very good. So so you walk in the door, okay? And now remember the first time around, you want to do everything just like Gary did it at TCU, and you want to do it yourself. And I got it. And you guys just follow my lead. I got it. second time around. How were you? Oh, similar, probably. You know, like, um, you know, I, I, you know, I thought the team. After you know seeing the team, I met individually with each player. I got sort of a feel for for where they were at and. 
um, you know, what we needed to do messaging, you know, down the line, you know, when they came back from Christmas break, you know, Frank was still there. They were preparing for the bowl game when I was there. So I was basically just trying to stay out of the way, um, and, you know, get a chance to watch practice and meet with the kids a little bit. Um, What's that like? What? Oh, it's weird. You know, like I had a team meeting and it lasted like three minutes. I was like, your f- focus needs to be twofold. You need to, you need to finish the see this semester academically the best that you can, and you need to send Coach Beamer out of here with a win. Those are the two things you need. Like, don't worry about the new head coach. Like, you need to go get those things done. We'll meet individually, and then you'll go home over break, and then when we come back, you need to be ready to work, basically. So, it was it was cool to get to to watch a little bit of practice and that sort of stuff. It was miserable to watch the Memphis team playing the bowl game. That was where my heart was still, you know, with those guys. And that was an excruciating experience watching that. But, um, yeah, so we went about trying to recruit and get a handle on recruiting. Like, it's just – there's just so much – so much stuff. Like, it was just – How hard is it know, to, so to, to change regions that, that drastic? It's brutal. It's really hard to start with, you know. Like, it's really, really hard. And you need to hire some guys with good with good connections in the region, but you don't need to hire them just because they're regional guys. Like, you know, and I made plenty of mistakes staffing wise, but just because a guy's from a region doesn't mean he should he's a good coach. And um, but it's hard to get your handle on because you know none of the guys are currently recruiting. You know, it's one thing. And it happened to me really twice. Like when I went to Memphis, we, I didn't know any of the guys because there weren't any kids from Texas there. And when I went to to Virginia Tech, there were no kids from Mississippi, Alabama, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, what surprised me was Virginia Tech was a little bit uh, closer to a northern school than I thought. Like, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, there, I, in my mind, it was – I know this sound is like oversimplifying things, but it was a Southern school. It, it's, it is kind of, but I mean, there's a lot of kids from Pittsburgh and, you know, New Jersey and, you know, Maryland, you know, a little bit different part of the country than I kind of associated it with in my mind with Atlanta with, you know, getting to Charlotte, Atlanta. Yes. Like that was kind of my association with it. And it's really a a good location in that you can do both. It's kind of in the middle, but it was different than I had. To it where it's, it's not, you can't, it's not the South. It's not the North. It's not the Midwest. It's yeah. It's kind of, yeah. Um, Your first game bait Liberty, which was for now Liberty is not what it is now. But it, they're all there's yeah. they're like thirty minutes away. Um, Lane Stadium, I've been there for Enter Sandman. Your first time, a little little different walking out, but you're the guy who replaces Frank Beamer. You're the first coach outside of Frank Beamer to be on that sideline. What do you remember? What was that like? Well, it was really cool. I mean, they got a great a great fan base, a fan base that understands football, a fan base that's supportive a fan base that uh, shows up to the game. You know, some teams' fans show up to the game to be entertained, right? 
Okay, show me something. All right. Well, that's all right. That's these people show up to say, how can we help you win? Right? Like they're there to actively uh participate in the football game. And it's really cool. And um, you know, that was awesome. I, you know, and and coach was great. Coach lived in our neighborhood, you know, like um his wife was was fantastic. And um replacing him has nothing to do with him. You know, it's got to do with all the other either people or things or operandi that that need to be massaged or moved around. But um it was an honor. That's how I felt. You know, I still feel that way. You know, it was it was an honor. Your second game, I believe, your second game, you did that Bristol Motor Speedway deal, right? That Tennessee game. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. the weirdest setup ever. There's a race car track, you know. You got like 150,000 people at the game. Um, what, what, and obviously you lost the game. So I'm sorry to bring up a game, which, you know, yeah, 24 points right. in the second quarter. I'm sure halftime was fun. Um, yeah. But what, what was their react? You know, because again, like you said, replacing Frank Beamer, it's not that hard as far as a coach, but, and they hadn't been great in a while, right? It had been five or six years since they had double digit wins. Um, but it's the first time you lose a game and it's a game that everybody's watching. How did you handle critique of, you know, because when you lost early in Memphis, nobody gave a shit. Now you lose early at Virginia Tech, even though they hadn't been winning, there's still the, well, you're the, you lost to Tennessee in front of 150,000 people. Yeah, it was the weirdest game I've ever been a part of. Like, um, like it was like too big for everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just like even our equipment guys had our Friday workout gear all screwed up. Like it was just like too big for like it was weird. Like I remember standing on the sidelines, like looking into the stands and not being able to tell if there was an actual person in that seat or not. I couldn't tell. Like that's how far away they were. Like it was just a blob. And um we I mean, we jumped out on them and then we like panicked. It was like, I was so shocked at how, because we had a good squad. Like, Frank left us. That upper class deal, they were good players. Um, I'm like, I'm just kind of sh- shocked at, like, how we panicked. And, like, it's like we we thought we were freaked out that we were winning. And then uh, we committed a bunch of penalties and we turned the ball over. And we act like an emotionally insecure team and a selfish team. And I was shocked. Like, that's not who I thought they, we were, you know, like I really, um, I, I was mad at myself that I hadn't seen that beforehand, you know, that I hadn't seen that. And we had a rough Sunday afterwards. I mean, it was pretty clear. Like, I mean, we took penalties. We did, we played selfishly and, and panicked and, um, I was really disappointed, first of all, in myself that I hadn't seen that ahead of time. And then, so like whatever people thought or said, I didn't really care. Like I'm in the middle of doing this work, you know? And um, for me, it was like, how do we diagnose the team to get the, this out of them? Because that's not winning. So that's a, so that's, 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 a that's a real thing. So when when a coach says like, hey, I don't pay attention to any of that stuff, right? That's that's a That's a real thing. 
I don't know how you can. Like, I do think there is an element of being aware of what's going on that you need to have, right? Like, it, I mean, I'm sure there are coaches that that do it, like, do it both ways. But I've known coaches in basketball or in football that read everything, and it drives them nuts. I'm like, dude, what are you doing to yourself? You know, like, you, but there, there's, you know, and then there's the – the Bill Snyder that says he didn't even know it was Halloween or whatever, you know, he's been in there working so hard. He doesn't even know, you know, I think there's an element of understanding, like somebody needs to tell you what's a little bit going on, but getting in the middle of all that stuff is kind of productive. Well, uh, it, it, your tenure there is interesting because it's not like it was ever bad. Like you had the third year you had, you had a stretch where you lost four in a row. Right. That's when it it, yeah. it 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 spiraled in a little bit. But it wasn't like it wasn't like you were like two and nine. It wasn't like there were right. all kinds of off the field issues. There was no it's just you couldn't turn the corner, right? You couldn't Right. Um So here's what happened. Okay. Like so like I said, our first two years we were pretty good. Now our second year, you know, we had two receivers that leave for the NFL draft early and the quarterback leave for the NFL. Draft. Like um, who had an incredible first year, Gerard Evans. Like if you look up best quarterback year in the history of Virginia tech, it's Gerard Evans. It's not, it's not Tyrod Taylor. It's not Mike Vick. Gerard, I mean, he was incredible and he turned pro and the two receivers turned pro with them. And the next year we still had all those guys from Frank on defense and we were loaded on defense, and we were not very good on offense. And um, I remember meeting with the AD and saying, like, listen, our program is not in very good shape. Like, we've won 19 games in two years, and people want me to take other jobs. And, you know, we, we've, we're partly popular right now. But I'm just going to tell you, like, I what the way this affords me to live my life, I'm interested in staying. I'm not interested in going to these other places. But I'm worried because our facilities aren't very good and our staffing's not very good. And by the time we get all of that fixed, people are going to be tired of hearing from me. Because I, I said, because our program, our young people in our program are we're like, we don't, we've got a real issue coming down. That, like my exact words were, you didn't hire me for the last two years. You hired me to get you through what's about to happen because it's about to be rough. And so that next year, that third year, we played a bunch of young people. We were very, we were very good. Right. And and then, um, then nineteen hits, okay, and it's it's buds last year, and we're pretty good again, okay. We end up eight and five, and I give you the worst word in the English dictionary, but we we lose to Virginia. Um, you know, essentially the last play of the game. They have a really dynamic quarterback that gave us a lot of problems. We have we lose on the, essentially the last play of the game in the bowl game against against Kentucky. They hold the ball for eight and a half minutes in the fourth quarter to score on essentially the last play of the game to beat us in Bud Foster's final game with a receiver playing quarterback. But we are better. Hendon Hooker is playing quarterback. Okay. Like 
we benched the guy that started. We put Hendon in, and Hendon is the savior of the football team. Okay, he's talented, he's smart, he's handsome. Like he is, he is the guy. Okay, and then uh, COVID hits, and it was, it was like we had everybody coming back. Our program was now in good shape. Okay, I turned, you know, Baylor wants to talk, which I made mistakes with all that, but um, I made, I've made more than my share of mistakes going around. But like we're starting to get facilities built, we're starting to get staff built, we have the entire football team back, and I'm fired up. And then COVID, and it was, it, it just, we couldn't, you know, we just, we couldn't handle it. I don't know if anybody's built to handle that thing. You know, it's just. Well, like like from a university standpoint, it was, I'm not saying that we failed anybody. Like nobody died, but it wasn't set up to succeed. And we had very little help. And our medical people were incredible. They worked their fingers to the bone during that deal. But um, some of our, some of our players that we loved and cherished and, like some of their attitudes changed, you know, things were happening across the country and some of their demeanor and attitude towards what we were doing changed. Some of it was just it like, and then we struggled a little bit and you know, we played some games, quite honestly, Doug, that we shouldn't have played. I mean, we trotted teams out there that had no business. Like we were too thin COVID wise by the end of the year, by the first of the year, it was like, we got to find a way to play. Mm-hmm. By the end of the year, everybody, somebody had sniffles. People are canceling games, right? Like they, they were just trying to get through the, the season, but not us. We soldiered on and it hurt us. Like they're going to keep score and those, those games are going to count. So, you know, you better, better not take the field unless you're fully ready. And we took the field when we shouldn't have. Um, okay. If you could do it, you, you mentioned the mistakes. What's the mistake you wish you had back? Oh, I made a lot of staffing mistakes. I really did. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I, and I am not talking for anybody that cares. I am not talking about Bud Foster. Okay. Like that's the, the least, the last thing that I'm talking about, but there was a lot of things I could have done uh, to help us recruiting that I didn't do until it was too late that um that would have really really helped us out that i sat on or didn't make decisions on or just you know for whatever reason was afraid to to really to make those decisions because of other pressures that i either real or manufactured that i that i should have just i should have just done it you know um what's it like to get let go Oh, it's no fun. Like, you know, but you know how it is too. Like, at least for me, like, I still have this romantic view of my home and my wife and my three girls and and that I'm this like protector of them, you know? And, uh, you know, that's the part that, I mean, it sucks, but, um, you know, you probably go through all the uh, the emotions of being angry and whatever, and 
you know, for me, I've used this time to, to think about what I did wrong. You know, like I didn't, I could have handled the media in a better way. You know what I mean? I could have let people see who I really was. I should have had somebody there. To, that Why didn't you actually? Why didn't you? I, I don't know. I became pretty um, reserved and extremely neutral and, and a little bit shut off. Part of it was my own fault. Like I, I, be, I had there's some people I really didn't like, <laughs> and that's my that's on me. That's on them. You know, that's on that's on me. And but um, how would you, how could you, you know, how, were, how would you handle it differently? You, would you tell them? Would you make sure they weren't part of, around the program? Like, yeah, I think I, sh- I, I, you know, I think there's there's a couple things. There's you know there's leadership up the chain of command that I should have done a better job of. You know. Um, managing up is hard. They don't teach you how to manage up. I, know. I think you learn and how to manage it's down as a coach really well. Managing up is not something yeah. that, 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 that takes a while to figure out. And I don't, and it's time consuming and energy draining. And, you know, I got to the point where I didn't want to do it. And, um, you can do that. You just got to win a lot of games. You know, no <laughs> doubt. And I, and I got tired. There were some changes on the staff you know, above us that, in my opinion, hurt, uh, hurt us. And um, without getting all, all the way into it, you know, there were some relationships there that were counterproductive. Um, I don't know how I could have changed those. Um, I'm interested in being aligned with people with similar values that I have. And if they don't have it, it's kind of hard for me. But um, I should have done a better job externally. No question. And, you know, like, I'm not one that's ever wanted to to tell people what I was doing or whatever, but we should have had somebody there to tell the story a little better. See, I, I I'm, and this is like, if I could, if I could have grabbed you then, you know, uh, it and told you all this stuff. It's like the reason I coaches do this all the time. They get into a, a spot where they're not comfortable, whether it's location or whether program is whatever. And they do, they kind of become, they don't want to offend anybody. They, they don't. But the reason, one of the reasons for your rise and the reason you're only good in foot coaching, if you have a great personality, none of these guys are any good. It's just getting to it. It's the same thing. Honestly, it's the same thing. There's a uh, friend of mine, Dave Revson, works for the Big Ten Network. We used to have this guy who worked with us at ESPN and we used to mess with him and say, hey, man, you got a hell of a personality. You should bring it out on television every now and again. Right. Right. Like. Guys in television, they get on television and then they become some caricature of what they really were. We're like, dude, you got the job, not because you're on air tape. You got the job because you sat in a room and they're like, I like this guy. I want to hire this guy. The reason that you're in football is because you can hang out around a bunch of football. Yes, you know more than other people, but you get it because your personality. We're all in the people business. And it's interesting that a lot of coaches that maybe it's they don't trust their surroundings or they're afraid of their words being parsed. But until they get to that spurrier level, right, where you can say whatever the hell you want, whenever the hell you want, because you won so much football games, whatever, it's hard to let people in. But if you let people in and they feel like they know your dog's name, your kids, and what makes you tick, and Murray State, and all this other stuff, that you become, it, it, you become a more tangible person that it's harder to, it's harder to care about not converting a, a third and two. You know what I mean? When you know somebody. Right. Yeah, I know. And it, it totally, and the more it went, the more withdrawn I really became. And it wasn't because I didn't like people. 
You know, it was just like you become so concerned with everything that you do say. Yeah. Like, how is this going to be interpreted? Like, I just, like, you're so measured on every, that you're really going your whole year and not saying anything. And it's like, like those guys would come up to me and they'd be like, man, at the ACC meetings, when you sit down with, with all of us, you're so relaxed and, and, and fun to be around. I'm like, you know, I don't know if they said fun, but you know, you're relaxed and you know, you're kind of yourself and you're not like that the rest of the rest of the time. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know guys, but it's like, it was just hard for me to take that leap. If I had, if if I ever do it again or I do it again, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be myself. Like I'm not going to delve into the, you know, I'm not going to delve into politics on a Tuesday, but like you gotta be, you, gotta be you. Be you know, you gotta be you. I, I, yeah. I feel, I feel the and exact same. I was that way with the team too, Doug. Like if you, if like I had a couple of kids from Memphis come to our practices at Virginia tech and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I can't be like that anymore. You know, like, cause I mean, I mean, Memphis, like if you ever talk to any of the kids that played first in Memphis, like, I mean, we stepped on the field and it was but but it part of it is two and a half part of it is also the kids and you recruit. You recruit tough ass kids there. 100%. They can take tough ass kids. Like it was totally different at Virginia Tech. Like just it just was. And I lost my identity as a coach. I lost what I got what I was good at. And you know, we weren't we weren't as good as we could have been. Like the our people can say whatever they want. Our program the last couple of years was in good shape. We should have won more games. Yeah. And we did it. And, you know, part of it was quarterback play and part of it was recruiting and part of it was all kinds of different things. Part of it was mentality. But we had, you know, the last couple of years, part of it was COVID or whatever. I'm not going to use this. But the last three years, like we were, we were in a much healthier spot than our, than our record. All right. Last thing. Last thing. Um, Give me the if if you could close your eyes and said in five years, this is what I'm doing, this is how I'm doing it. <laughs> in five years. I don't know. Um I in five years I'd like to be involved in in sports somewhere. And I don't know if that's um I don't know if in five years that's still coaching or if that's um if that's if that's helping a program some way, or if that's helping young people in some way, like I think there's this void of education that we have an opportunity to influence young people with that we can use sports. It's like, you know, Hoosiers is not actually about basketball, right? It's, you know, uh, Rudy is not exactly, is not actually about football. It's about all these lessons you learn. And, um, so, you know, I hope that I'm finding a way either as a coach or as a mentor or a teacher or whatever the label is to help some group of young people understand and value the things that I think through 46 years um, are actually important. Not that Twitter tells you are important, but that I think are actually important. And hopefully, it you know, you see that those things eventually are important. Um Okay, but you you didn't you don't seem like you're dying to get back in coaching. I guarantee you, you lost your job. There's plenty of people have reached out. Hey, do you want to run my offense? Hey, do you want to work with my quarterback? Yeah, 
why take this time to step away? Man, it's been, first of all, I was emotionally wasn't ready. Like, I mean, I don't, I'm not really like a sweet and cuddly guy, but I'm just being honest. Like emotionally, I was not ready to get, get back in. I had some conversations with people and, you know, they were ready to move on, on some head coaching jobs. And, and I just told them, I said, I, I can't, I can't be ready to do that next week. And there was just a process I needed to go through. It's been great for me that my team is no longer the number one team in this house, that it's, uh, you know, my fifth grade daughter's lady diva basketball team or my 14 year old's club volleyball team or my, or my third graders, uh, rec volleyball team. Like those are the most important teams. And that's been awesome. And if you ask my kids, they'll tell you they, they, they miss having it. They miss my team, but, um, I'm enjoying being a part of, of their team. And, um, you know, it, if the right people that I'm aligned with come along, I'm talking about that we have similar values and uh, it's in the right, you know, locate all the things kind of line up. I'm more concerned with who I'm paired with and who I'm teamed with than I am the size of the weight room. And if those things come along, then I'll be darn interested to go down the road in that, in that direction um, to, to see, to see about getting back in. The give me one kid. We got to wrap this in a second. One kid who, because I do think that the whole process is what's important to you, right? One player like this. This is a guy who I brought in Memphis, TCU, even go back to Illinois State or VT, and you should see what he is now. And it may not be because of what you did, but because of the person that you saw and the process that he went through. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, for me, the first one that comes to my mind is Joseph Turner. Joseph Turner played tailback for us at TCU. I was a, the running back coach and then became the coordinator. And I, I think it was because Joseph, he's a head coach over in Fort Worth now. Actually, I we signed one of his players at Virginia Tech. He's playing at Virginia Tech now. And I'm just telling you, he, he came to Virginia Tech because Joseph went in there and said, Coach Fuente cares about what's right. And for me, it was, I don't know that I helped Joseph do anything other than I listened. And Joseph had so many things, you know, emotion. You know, he, was, he was never on a list. He was never in trouble. But you know, he always kind of in his heart wanted to go back home. You know, he was always homesick or he was always didn't like school or he didn't like whatever. And like, he's coaching other young people now, right? Like he's got somebody in his office right now saying, I want to quit or I want to go home or, or this is too hard or this stinks or my mom's not doing well or whatever it is. And I hope that there's, there's one second of that interaction that he thinks of all those conversations that we had you know, that help him with the next generation of kids that that struggle with whatever it is that's out there. If uh, if Hendon wins the Heisman Trophy, will what what will you feel emotionally? I'll be happy for him. There's not a better family out there. His mama, his daddy, brother, his sister. Hendon's a good kid. Well, I'm telling you, and he is talented. 
And it was never about that. There were some things that happened in his time there that I think he's, you know, or I hope that he's um, gotten evened out and feels good about. And Josh Heupel deserves a tremendous amount of credit for what he's done. It's kind of an interesting deal. I was thinking about this is like Josh Heupel wins the national championship as a transfer quarterback. Yeah. Like, but John Blake had been there and recruited some really good players. Yeah. And then Stoops after two years wins the national you know, Heupel has got a transfer quarterback, but the previous coach had recruited some good players. Yeah. And now here, like, is it going to repeat itself? It looks like it might because there's no slowing them down right now, but um, that's a long way of me saying I'll be, I would be uh, thrilled for him and his family. And I'm happy that he's found the balance and what it is that he's, that he's looking for and ultimately having great success. If people ask how you are, right. And, you know, every, you know, and, and like you said, there's different stages of it. How would you characterize in, if, if you're being honest with people, and you run, walk into a, a football guy, you, you know, you're at a volleyball game and you see, you know, one of the TCU or SMU coaches, they got a daughter that's in volleyball. And they go, hey, man, how you doing? What's your honest answer? Yeah, I'm great. And um, I'm excited about whatever comes next. I don't really know what it's going to be. Right. Um, it'll be it'll be something, but it doesn't have to be anything, which is kind of cool. Um, uh, but I'm really happy right like my kids are really important to me and they have sacrificed a lot um because of my profession they've got to do some cool things too but they but they but they've sacrificed a lot and for me to be a part of it and um is is pretty rewarding for me and we'll see how it goes and we'll adapt and adjust uh with whatever happens in the future but i'm i'm awesome I cannot tell you how much I appreciate all this time and the the insight that so few will ever provide. And I would tell you that when you get that opportunity again, like if you just open, if you just you, like yeah, will help. No, it'll be, it, that's the whole thing, right? It's finding a place. It's no different in my job, right? Finding a place where you can be yourself. And like you said, the alignment with with people who are aligned, think the way you think. Like that's the whole deal. And, but there's no doubt in my mind that that's one of the elements that was probably missing at times of Virginia Tech, because this is who you are. And, you know, that's, that's what wins. I, people is what what wins. Anyway, I really appreciate it. I'm going to hit you up when I get to Dallas and we'll break bread and perk. Awesome. Please do. I appreciate you asking. It's my pleasure. And if you come to Dallas and don't hit me up, I'll be pissed. I will. Okay? I will. I'll make sure because it's your town. So that means you buy the meal. That's the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Thanks, Justin. All right. See you, Appreciate you Yep. I, I know. Look, I know that was a lot, but man, I can't think. I can't thank Coach Fuente enough. And we're not like boys. We just become friends, and we. I think some of the things in life and coaching and sports were aligned on. And, you know, it's one of those people you meet along your path and yet I like, and I respect him. Now, of course I call him a friend really like and respect him. And I think you do too. I wonder when he'll and where he'll be on the sideline, but I'm glad he's found balance and found time with his kids uh, during his at least year 
away from coaching. So my thanks to Justin Puente. Reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 5 Eastern. There's the In the Bonus podcast, which is unfiltered. One hour of sports talk that drops every day for the third hour. That's between 5 and 6, but you can always pick it up uh, on your iHeartRadio app or foxsportsradio.com or wherever you download this podcast. A um, little more hoops on your way coming, but if you like it, make sure you tweet it out, put it out on Facebook, on Instagram, whatever. Be sure to review it, subscribe, rate, review, download it. Just make it part of your day. My thanks to you for listening. My thanks to Coach Fuente for joining me. Wow, that was really good. Three parts. You learn a lot about a man, a lot about uh, college football, and about how things actually happened, even if they're not reported fully and how they happened. Right? It was fascinating stuff. Thanks for listening. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.